Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Return and Rebuild, challenging us to persevere through opposition with our eyes fixed on Christ. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome to Impact Church, man. We hope you're excited to be in the house of the Lord. God's doing amazing work. Diving right in this morning. We want to get going. We've been going through the book of Ezra expositionally, and we've been in a, uh, this sermon series entitled Return and Rebuild. And we've been looking at how God is moving in the heart of these Israelites who have been in cat- captivity, and now he's bringing them back restoring their faith, restoring um, their work for him and their heart to serve him. And they've entered some opposition, as we've seen through chapter 4, and how they responded with, with even stopping the work of the Lord. So now, and after this three-week kind of miniseries that we just went through on Don't Quit and what it looked like to, to, to not quit and, and what it, um, the enemy tries to come at us with to make us quit and to knock us down, And we talked about what it looks like to get up, even though our opposition is still standing over us, that we are to get up, to not quit. But then what does that look like once you get up? That's great. You got knocked down. You didn't quit. You got up. Now what? Because, again, like we said, the opposition is still there, right? So the next part that we're going through today that the Lord is leading through is the now what? And the title of this message is Perseverance in the Face of Opposition. And a subtitle under that would be A Learned Lesson. Because you see, there's a lesson to be learned in facing opposition and not quitting, but then there's a lesson to also be learned in perseverance. That there's a spiritual lesson, a spiritual growth, and a strengthening of our faith that takes place. And that's what we're going to see right here in these Israelites As they are knocked down, they stop the work of the Lord, they turn back to their own ways, their own understanding, but they're going to get up, and they're going to face the same opposition, and how would they handle it this time? So the title of our message is Perseverance in the Face of Opposition, because what we've come to know and what this truth is that we've understood is that God's plan in your life and in my life will always be resisted, always. 100%. There's no smooth sailing. So you've got to buckle up, cupcake, right? It's heading for the faint of heart if you're truly in Christ. Now you can water down your gospel and keep one foot in the world and, and, and smooth on through. But if you truly stand for Jesus like you're supposed to in his word, it's going to be battle ahead. There will be. Always. But what we're going to see is God's plan, although resisted, cannot be stopped. So last week, we kind of ended up where God is for us, and we've and we seen how God was wanting to move them into to not quitting. So knowing that there's a lesson to be learned in this, have we learned our lesson? Did these Israelites learn their lesson? We're going to find out. But have you and I learned our lesson? You know, if, if uh, you grew up in a in a home where you had a, a mom or dad who loved you, you got disciplined sometimes for when you did something wrong, didn't you? Maybe if you went to a, a school back in the day, 
there was still disciplinary action when you did something even wrong at school. And probably one of the the most common things after punishment was due and after you had served your time in detention or sitting in the corner or grounded or whatever the case was, there often came this question to us. Have you learned your lesson? Remember that? Maybe you got in trouble on the playground and some teacher come running up to you, didn't know you did something wrong, they don't really know you because they were in another class. Like, who are you? Who are you? What are you doing? What'd you do wrong? And then once you get in trouble and you get through that, it's always, have you learned your lesson? So the question to these Israelites, the question to us today is through opposition, through failure, through resistance, through perseverance in Christ, have we and will we learn our lesson? Because if we quit, if we run away, and we don't persevere, and our heart's not right, we will never grow spiritually. Never. We will always be an immature spiritual believer. I'll show you scripture to prove that as we go through this message. I looked up the, in the idiom dictionary, what does it mean to the saying, have you learned your lesson? I thought this was very insightful to what we're looking at today. It says that through, through painful experience, you learned your lesson not to do something, often something one had been warned about. You learned what to do or not to do in the future because of a bad experience in the past. This is the one I really love. Number three, you profit from experience, especially an unhappy one. Did you hear that? You profit. That means you gain something from going through an unhappy experience. That is biblical. And we're going to see that. But so oftentimes when things get hard, when things get tough, when things don't go our way, we just want to quit, want to run away. And we talked about that weeks ago, how there's a cancer plaguing our society and it's just to quit. When things get tough, when things get hard, when things don't go our way, we quit. We quit. We run. We quit. And we've seen these Israelites do this, but now here they are. They're up. God has brought them back through the presentation of the word through Haggai and Zechariah. And what will they do this time? When they face opposition, did they learn their lesson or will they once again run and quit when things get tough? So we'll see. We saw last week that God is for us. How is he for us? How is he for these Israelites? You know, I love God's word because what we're going to see in context as we read today is how he was for them. How he was working behind the scenes in their life to push them forward and make possible the plan that he had put them on, even though there was resistance. So, for us today, maybe life's knocked you down. Maybe things haven't gone your way. Maybe some of it's from the sin of other people. Maybe some of it's from sin in your own life. Whatever the case may be, if we get our hearts right today and focus, God wants to set us back on a path and strengthen us to persevere through opposition so that he can teach us something, so that he can give us spiritual maturity and growth and faith in him that we don't possess before the adversity. So God's plan, it will be resisted, but it cannot be stopped. Let me pray for us real quick before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I come to you now, Father, Lord, and we're asking, Lord, for your spirit to fall upon this place. Lord, for you to move in hearts and lives through the presentation of your word, for you to speak, for you to convict. 
Lord, and for you to, to show us the way and how you call us to persevere. Because, Lord, we thank you for the example in Jesus who persevered, who endured all of this ridicule, pain, torture, resistance, and he still, in obedience, stood the course through your strength to the cross and laid down his life for us, and he didn't quit. Thank you, God. And, Lord, that three days later, he rose for the grave in victory, proving that he was God. So, Lord, right now, let us hear this message. For those who persevere, you will allow to overcome. So, Father, can we trust you? Will you give us strength to trust you through the hardest, toughest times of our life? Father, because it's your mission, it's your plan. And when our hearts are right before you, you go before us and you make a way. So, Lord, I know somebody needs to hear that message today. And they need to put their trust and hope in you. So, Father, come today, speak to us, and do what only you can do through your word. And you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, as we get ready to dive further into chapter 5 of Ezra, we know and we talked about that every spiritual advancement in the Bible was always resisted. From the very start, you go back and you can look at creation. It all, everything, every spiritual advancement always starts with God's word, always. But then as such, it's always quickly resisted. This will be the same. You look at creation, started with God's word. God spoke, creation was existence. And as soon as mankind was in being, who came in the garden? The enemy, resistance. How about Noah and the flood? Was there resistance as he was building the ark? Yeah. Boy, what you doing? It ain't rained here, man. A boat? Why are you making it that big? Resistance. God's chance for trying to call people out before his wrath fell on on the earth. How about Abraham and, and all the resistance that he faced? And you can look at this all the way through the New Testament to the, to the expansion of the church and Acts and, and all the, the ministry of the, uh, of the apostles and, and everything. There was always resistance, even the work of Jesus like we talked about and, and his path to the cross. All resistance in God's work. And, and so many times people get it so messed up and we talked about this also that Sometimes people feel like, well, if I'm getting this much resistance, if I'm getting this much uh, uh, pushback, that this must not be God's will. Let me get this straight. If your heart's right and you're truly in God's will, you will always see resistance. If you're not being resisted and you think you're in God's will, you better have a gut check because you probably are doing your own will and not God's. You will have resistance. You will have constant resistance and pushback. It will happen. It's biblical. But God has promised to overcome. So there's our hope. There's our strength. There's our confidence to not quit and to persevere no matter what, no matter what the threat is. So we see this commonality that any work of the Lord will quickly be tested and threatened. Opposition can come in the form of, of course, we know our battle's not against flesh and blood. It starts with a spiritual battle. There's an enemy, Satan. He's behind the scenes of everything that comes against God's plan. But then sometimes he gets in the hearts and minds and tongues of people, and they bring that spiritual battle to earth. So you will face opposition from other people that the enemy's using. You will face opposition um, just from simple customs and, and duty in society, just from the norm of how things run. We're going to see some of that today. 
So to persevere, we have to know this. It's impossible to persevere without first being able to overcome discouragement. You have to be able to overcome discouragement in your heart and mind to be able to persevere. It has to happen. One cause of discouragement, of course, we've seen all the attacks that came to these Israelites, and we saw what happened. How did they get discouraged? How did they kind of wallow in this discouragement? They became self-focused. Did you remember that message from, from last week? When they started to turn and build their own house, they stopped the work of the Lord, and they just started doing their own thing. Because they were discouraged, and and that discouragement led them to be self-focused. Guys, discouragement in your life and my life that that prevents us from moving further toward the Lord and and persevering and getting closer to Christ will always circle us back around to ourself. We will become self-focused and self-pitied. And and as such, we will have self-justification as to why we give up. We'll justify it. Well, it wasn't my way. It wasn't this. We'll justify why we quit. It's because we came discouraged over something and we didn't see the value and the lesson that Christ wants to learn and teach us through it. So this kind of self-focus, as we've seen in these Israelites as well, prevents us from moving forward in God's mission. God's mission globally, God's mission individually in our life when we become self-focused. And then we If we're self-focused, we don't see the needs of others. We don't see the bigger picture. We don't see what God's really trying to do through us and through the situation. And so we miss the opportunity to minister to those needs and completing the task the Lord's put before us. That's a huge problem. That's why it's important to persevere, to get our hearts right and not quit. So let's go to chapter 5 and let's see where we're at. Did these Israelites now overcome their discouragement and get to the task. What will they do when they face opposition this time? Let's pick it up in chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text all the way through chapter 17, so bear with me. We'll read it all at once, and then we'll talk through it. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Banzai, get you some of that, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai sent. The governor of the region beyond the river and Shethar Bosnai and his companions, the Persians who were in the region beyond the river, and to Darius the king. They sent a letter to him in which was written thus, to Darius the king, all peace. Peace, king, right? Hey, we, we coming, man. We, we good. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones, and timber is being laid in the walls. And thus work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, Who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you, that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. And thus they returned us an answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked 
the God of heaven, to wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple and was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon. Those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to the one named Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. And he said to them, Take these articles, go carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction, and it is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king, let a search be made in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon, whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God at Jerusalem. And let the king send us his pleasure concerning this matter. That's a lot in there, but basically what I want you to see is we just come off of verse 2 last week. Right? Verse 1 and 2. We had verse 1, the prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, come to him with a word. And we, we looked back in Haggai and Zechariah last week to get, get a, a context of what that message was to these people. So they just got a word. And in verse 2 it says, the Lord stirred in their hearts, and they got up, and they started rebuilding the temple. We had that in verse 2. We got that? Word of the Lord came. And this time, this people, hey, they had learned their lesson from before. Hey, we're not doing like our ancestors did. Man, I ain't going into captivity again. You know what I'm saying? The word of the Lord's coming this time. I'm listening. Hey, that's a lesson learned right there. So they got up, and they got busy, and they were convicted by the word of God, and they listened and got their heart right and went back to work. Verse 2. Verse 3, what does the word say? What was the first words of verse 3? At the same time. Oh, come on, somebody, right? They just got back to work, and at the same time, resistance came. Anybody just get a message right there? We talked about picking yourself off the mat, and your opposition is going to be right there waiting to pound you right back in the face. He's not going to wait till you get your balance and get your legs back under you first. He's going to pound you back down. He doesn't want you up completing the mission that God has set before you. So here we go. Opposition immediately. It's like, brother, come on, man. Can't you give him a month? Come on. Not even a day. It says at the same time there was resistance. And we see this guy named Tatnai was the enemy's use for opposition this time. And Tatnai, essentially, right here, was just coming, kind of doing his job, so to speak, right? So this was the man appointed by the king of Persia to govern the province that was included, that included Judea. So here he was kind of coming with his badge on, right? My man Tat, coming up in there. We'll call him Barney Fife, okay? Right? Who are you? <clears throat> Bullet in the pocket, right? What are you doing building this temple? And what are you, who told you you could do this, right? We got Barney showing up and coming on. We're going to make sure this is right. Because if it's not, I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut it all down if y'all ain't supposed to be here. So we have resistance. And he says, I want your names. 
So it won't just enough to come in, flash the badge, so to speak, throw a little words out. I'm going to write your names down because I'm going to send them to the king. Oh, no. He's like, man, come on, man. Why don't you mind your own business, right? It's like, what are you doing up in here? We've got, I mean, I'm sure the guys were thinking, we've got a decree from Cyrus, you fool. Why are you coming up in here? And he was like, I'm going to write your names down. I'm, I'm, I'm telling. We've got a tattletale on our hands, don't we? we got a snitch. You know, snitches get stitches or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, here comes this guy coming in here trying to mess up the work of the Lord when they had every right to be there. And they were called back to what God had told them to do. So they wrote down the names, which this are lesson in this. Remember the first accusation back in chapter 4? What was that accusation put forth? That, hey, these people are a rebellious people. They don't want to do anything to honor the king. They don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to do nothing. And remember, that was true of their ancestors, but not true of these people. That's where the false accusations came in. So now these men made good on the fact that they were not rebellious because they gave them their names. They're like, here's our names. Go ahead and send it to the king. We're here. We're right. We're good. We're good with the king. We have, a, we have the order from Cyrus to come and do this. So This shows that they were in no way trying to rebel against the authority of the Persian king. Verse 5. This is where we really get into this message and we see God's provision, protection, when their hearts were right before him. We see that the eye of God was upon them and that he was blessing them and that he was going before them to make a way. That's so important. God's blessing was upon them so that the work which was resumed, remember, under the response to God's word through the prophets, all right, that their hearts repented from their sin, walked in obedience to the Lord, so now God was with them. Isn't that beautiful? Anybody get a message in that besides me? Hey, sometimes we just need to repent, humble ourselves, get our our hearts right before the Lord, and then he will go before us. But when our hearts are not right, when we're living in sin, when there's bitterness in our heart, when there's false motives and all that kind of stuff, God cannot be on your behalf. He cannot do it. Why? Because it's sin. And God cannot be in the presence of sin. He cannot. He only can exist through a repentant heart that's covered in the blood of Jesus. And that's the only way we have the presence of God. Able to help us. So God was with them when they repented, when they heard the word of the Lord, and they started to obey and get it right. Beautiful message. And then the Bible says that God made it so they didn't have to stop. He made it so they didn't have to stop and gave them time until this message went to Darius. The fact that they didn't have to stop, obviously, was God's provision, protection, God's providence, but then also it gave them time to do what? To pray. I mean, the Bible's not specific about this here, but I'm sure people were falling down in prayer and fasting. Lord, please let this. You know we have the right heart. We return to you. We, you know we're doing right. We're not living in rebellion. Please let King Darius' response be favorable. I'm sure there was prayers being lifted up. So we see this time where God allowed them to have favor even in opposition, and he strengthened them and made a way for them to persevere in the face of it this time. And they did it. They didn't quit. They learned their lesson. They didn't quit this time. They learned their lesson, perseverance. They're becoming more spiritually strong. They're growing. 
learning from past failures and mistakes. I love this fact where it says the eye of the Lord was on them here in verse 5. When you think of that, when, the, when you have the eye of God on you, our two points from last week, God is over us, God is for us. Both of those give you the idea that God's watching, God's looking, God's over us, God's for us. So when we hear this passage and say the eye of the Lord was on them, we know that God sees, knows, and is in control of everything. What does that point us to? We see right after it says the eye of the Lord was on them in verse 5. Let me pick it up with my eyes here, my, my old aging eyes. And it says that they could not make them cease till a report would go to Darius. Because the eye of the Lord was upon them. What was that pointing to? God's omnipotence. He's all-powerful. When our hearts and our lives are right before him, he goes before us and makes a way. He is all-powerful. So now, because their heart's right, oh, brother, I have the strength, the confidence, the faith to continue because now somebody's on my side that changes everything. How many of you, when you face the difficulties in life, when you face opposition, you want God on your side because you know he is in control of everything? Raise your hand. Amen. How do we do it? Listen to God's word. Get our heart right. Walk in obedience to his truth. Live by the spirit and not by the flesh, right? Everything the Bible commands us to do. And then we have the favor of God because of his son, and the Spirit of God living through us. That's what these Israelites were experiencing. They've seen now this strong hand of the Lord that moves opposition and prepares a way. And you think of the eye of the Lord on them. You think of another thing. You think of God's omnipresence. Yes, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's also omnipresent. That means God is everywhere. Do you believe that? Do you know that, that God is everywhere? The fullness of God is everywhere, not just parts of him. He's not, you know, stressed out and multitasking because there's so many people in the world. Now he's like, oh my goodness, how can I keep up with all these churches? That's not it. The fullness of God is everywhere. Do you know that? His eye is upon you. His eye is upon this church. His eye is upon your family. Will he find your heart faithful so that 2 Chronicles 16, 9 from last week, so that he can prove himself strong on your behalf? Ugh, come on, somebody got to get a word in that. Will he find your heart loyal, faithful to him, or will he find it bitter, sour, self-serving, in sin, tearing down people? What will he find your heart? If he finds you loyal and faithful, he will prove himself strong on your behalf. That's plain and simple. That is scripture, and it is beautiful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. That means he hears and sees always everything. He hears conversations behind closed doors that you and I never hear. He knows the motives of people's hearts. And they may try to hide with spiritual actions and words, but he knows even the secrets of the heart. He's not only omnipotent. He's not only omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And his eye is upon us, and he's searching our hearts and knowing our ways. So if our heart is wrong and our motives are wrong, and we're doing things against God or against others, 
even though they may not notice. If you got some loose lips and, and gossiping or making conniving plans, some people think they'll never get caught, or if they get caught, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If that's the case and your heart's not right like that, you desperately need to be afraid of the one who hears, knows, and sees all. He doesn't miss any of it. James chapter 4 tells us, when man, we find ourselves in sin like that, that we are not to just throw up a, oh, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, and then go on about our ways and do it again with the wrong heart. It says that we need to grieve, weep, mourn, and wail. Turn, change our laughter to mourning and change our joy to gloom. That we need to see the depravity of our sinful heart and our sinful ways. That's the only way we're going to get our hearts right. It's called repentance. And then we're washed in the blood of Christ, and he forgives and sets us new with a new heart and a new life. That chapter 4 goes further about the heart and, and God knowing a way. He said, don't slander yourself in James chapter 4. Don't slander each other. And, and I think it's a, a beautiful thing because you see the tongue is tied to the heart and so many times through Scripture. And I love this quote from John MacArthur. I want to read it to you. A corrupt and unholy heart eventually will be exposed by corrupt and unholy speech. If the tongue is not controlled by God, it is a sure indicator that the heart is not either. God called them, these Israelites, out of a season of drifting. He sent his word to convict them. Hey, your heart's not right. You're in the wrong place. You're doing the wrong thing. You're saying the wrong stuff. Get it right. Let's get back to work. They listened, they repented, and God set them back on their feet and went before them. Can you and I do that? Can you and I get it right? I love Psalms 33, 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. Do you fear the Lord? Do you have an awesome reverence of who he is and that he hears, knows, and sees all? Are you just mocking God? by acting like it doesn't matter. When the Bible says that God can't be mocked, a man's gonna reap what he sows. You sow to please the flesh, you reap destruction. You sow to please the spirit, you reap life. It's a very simple concept. It doesn't take a theologian to explain that. Psalms 32, eight through 11, I love this. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Talking about the eye upon these Israelites, the eye upon us as we repent, get our hearts right, move forward with the Lord. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Oh, that's beautiful. Why would we need God's eye to guide us? Because he can see things we don't. He can see in the future. He can see things ahead of us that we can't see. And he wants to guide us and direct us. Then the Bible says there, it says, Don't, do not be like the horse or like the mule. Uh-oh. Which have no understanding. In other words, they stubborn which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Going back to the heart again, didn't we? You see how everything in the Bible goes back to the heart? The heart, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter your position you have. It doesn't matter how spiritual people think you are. Where's your heart? And like John MacArthur said, eventually, if your heart's not controlled by God, it'll come out in your tongue. 
Where's your heart? His omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience guides the lives of those whose heart is pure before him. And what that means, especially with his omnipresence, is even then when there's times in our lives, guys, where we don't feel like the Lord is near, he's really right there. He's always right there beside us. So I've heard this said before, don't, don't forget in the darkness what God showed you in the light. Because when dark days come and challenges and opposition come, it's going to be easy to fall back and retreat and doubt God when you don't hear his voice and you feel like he's far away. Don't forget what he told you in the light. That's still truth, even in the hard times. So, lesson learned from previous generations of sin, they weren't going to fall into that. Word of the Lord came, boom, walk in obedience, repent, get it right, back to work for the Lord. Beautiful lesson learned. Now, the second lesson learned, hey, that last time when we felt up opposition, we quit. We ain't doing it this time, guys. You can almost hear the talk, almost like, a, like hey, man, let's huddle up. We ain't doing this. Barney Fife ain't shutting us down. You know what I'm saying? We're going to keep working. And that, they didn't even know, but the Lord had already gone before them and made a way. But they were continuing because they had learned their lesson. They were choosing to persevere in the face of opposition. So now they're like, go ahead, resist me, persecute me, do what you want to do. I'm going to keep my heart right with the Lord and keep serving him. Beautiful lesson. How about us? Their mindset is no weapon formed against you or us shall prosper when we have our hearts right. Isaiah 54, a lot of people quote that. Let's look at that passage together, and let's get the context of it. Let's read verses 14 through 17. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 14 through 17. In righteousness, oh, here we go again, coming back to heart and pure motives. In righteousness, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Did you catch that? People will gather and form, maybe even in the name, and come against you. They may fa- gather and form in the name of the Lord and come against you. But the Lord says, it won't be because of me. Why? Because whoever assembles against you shall not fall, shall fall for your sake. Because their hearts aren't right. So we need to get our hearts right. Verse 16, seeing the the context of this no weapon form shall prosper. Verse 16, behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. Now, verse 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Do you see the strength of God in that? And it goes back to heart. These people got their hearts right with the Lord, and the Lord was going before them. So that now, through opposition, they would learn a lesson in perseverance, but no weapon formed against them will prosper when they were doing it God's way. Beautiful lesson. From verse 6 on through the rest of the passage and even eventually in the chapter 6 where we'll be next week, we see God's provision. We see God's continued um, omnipotence, his strength, his all-powerfulness. And part of what they share here, part of this power that God's given them 
is their testimony. Did you see this in the passage where they quickly humbled themselves? And they said, who are we? And they're like, we're servants of the Lord God, the God of heaven and earth. Hey, our forefathers before us, they got it all jacked up with sin. They didn't listen to the Lord. And because of that, they fell under God's wrath. But now we're coming with humility, and we just want to get it right this time. And we just want to serve Lord and build the temple. We're here under King Cyrus who, who made this all possible. We're good. Do you see that testimony? What testimony has God given you that will help you through opposition? What is it? When, they see what God's, when you see what God's done in the past and what he wants to do in the future, it gives you strength. And it also gives us a strong witness with our faith in Jesus that others can see Christ in us. So we see they gave strong testimony and it helped them persevere through the opposition. It also showed their heart to Barney, who was trying to come in there and shut it down on them. Say, hey, man, we're good. We're not trying to we're not against you. We're not against the king. We're just trying to do the work of the Lord right here. Beautiful testimony. Because, again, like we said, this is God's mission. This isn't their mission. It's God's mission. Your calling, the work God's placed before you, the works God placed before this church, it's not your mission. It's not our mission. It's God's mission. So, therefore, when our hearts are right before him, he is going to finish what he started. He's going to complete the mission. He's going to make sure that no weapon formed against you shall prosper message right there and we see it right here in this passage it's a beautiful lesson here in the end of chapter five so god was sovereignly at work behind these events in the renewal of god's people just the fact that the governor allowed the work on the temple to continue while this inquiry was done showed god's provision and his omnipotence and power guiding the hearts of the king like a river the bible says his eye was on his people in order to fulfill his purpose. So God used and coordinated the preaching of these prophets to call the people back through conviction and through their heart of repentance and surrender to him and walking in obedience. And now he's using the work of these leaders, the determinate the uh, determination of this whole community coming together to build this temple. And he's even guiding the decisions of the unbelieving government officials. That's what God can do. That's what God can do. He can guide hearts and make paths that you and I can't. So you and I must have faith and have the courage to overcome discouragement and to persevere, to keep going. Because he is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, he gives you the courage to continue. That's where our strength comes from, to continue to persevere, guys. It's not in you, it's not in me, it's in him. That's where our strength comes from. It comes from the Lord. As we close, I want to look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to quote it for you in the NIV because that's the way I had memorized it. It's in my brain, and the switch versions, it kind of jacks it all up. But that passage says this. It says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. Somebody say that with me. Must finish its work. Why? What's the Bible say? So that you can become spiritually mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
You and I will never grow spiritually if when things don't go our way and when things don't go right and when there's opposition and when there's oppression and when there's resistance to our, in our life toward Christ and what God wants to do, we will never grow spiritually if we quit and run. You can't. James says it. Perseverance must finish its work for you to become spiritually mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's word, not mine. It's beautiful, and it shows exactly what these Israelites now have learned. Hey, we have to endure this time. We can't quit. We can't run. We can't just go back to our, our, our own selfish understanding and, and, and try to self-justify why we quit. We have to listen to the Lord, walk in obedience, and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave us. That's what Paul said. He even said, man, I consider my life worth nothing if I can just finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave me. Paul got it. Do we get it? Galatians 2.20, for I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. That's what it's all about. Are we on task for Jesus? Is our heart right? Nothing, nothing, nothing worthwhile, especially spiritually, is ever easy. Nothing. It's never easy to achieve. You will be resisted. But God will finish what he started when our heart's right. He will. He will make a way where no weapon formed against you will prosper. No one in this word ever accomplished anything for the Lord without opposition. And they must persevere and trust God through it. And then they saw God do the impossible. They see God do things that no one could take credit for. We've seen God do that here. Don't just go through it, whatever it is. Whatever opposition there is, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, listen to James. Don't just go through it. Grow through it. Grow. Endure. Persevere. Let God do his work in your heart and life. Get your heart right with him. Listen to his word. Fall, weep, mourn, and wail over your sin. Repent. Ask God to forgive you, restore you, renew you, and then walk forward in his power and strength. That's the gospel. That's what God wants out of all of us. But unfortunately, very few will endure. Very few will stay the course. Very few will humble themselves before a holy God and persevere. Most will retreat and run and give up. And they'll never learn. They'll never grow what God wants them to grow and learn in. So then, therefore, when the going gets tough again down the road, they'll quit and run again, whatever that looks like. You see, either quitting or persevering will become a habit in your life. Which one will you choose? Either quitting or persevering will become a habit in your life. Which one will you choose? You quit one time, it'll be easier to quit the next time. You persevere one time, God will strengthen you, it'll be easier to persevere the next time. That's God's word. So when we're stepping out and trusting God and living for God, oftentimes we're going to hit a wall, and that's expected. Sometimes we'll get knocked down. Sometimes it may make us stop like these Israelites did. But then God, through, he's going to come to us with his word through conviction. He's going to set us back up on our feet when we repent and get our life right. And then next time we hit that wall, he's either going to guide us around it, he's going to take us over it, or he's going to bust us right through it. Will you trust God for that? Will you get up and persevere and let God do his work in your life. Guys, I want to tell you, God's power is without limits. 
His power is without limits. You may say, Brad, well, man, you don't understand what I'm going through right now. It's an impossibility. I have no control over all of it. That's a great place to be. Because then when you fall on your knees and you cry holy to him and you see your depravity and you get your heart right, you get to God, you get to see God do what only he can do. Will you trust him for that? You may say, you don't know how big my problem is. You're right, I don't. But I do know how big our God is. Do you? Will you trust him and walk in him and let him restore you and renew you and go before you? He always does what he says he's going to do, church. Do you believe that? Do you believe that mom and dad? Do you believe that husband and wife? He will always do what he said he's going to do. If we trust him and walk in him. He makes a way when there is no way. He did it for the generations before these Israelites when they crossed the Red Sea. When there was no way, he made a way. He continued in doing it even though some fell away and their hearts weren't right and, and they, they turned back to their old ways. But for the remnant that trusted in him and had their heart right, he yet again proved himself faithful. And with Joshua, he moved them across a flooded Jordan River into the promised land where they would face armies that were stronger than themselves and God would again make a way for those whose heart was right before him. Can you see the message all through scripture? Move into the the. New Testament, and we see Jesus coming, the depravity of man. You and I can't do anything to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be righteous in the eyes of God. Nothing. So God made a way. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross where there was no way. He made a way for you and for me that we could be set on our feet, that we could be renewed, restored, that we could have purpose, life, power, everything that God wants to give us. Yes, there will be resistance. Yes, there will be pain. But he wants to move you through it. Will you trust in him? He made a way. Do you have the way in you? I want to read something right now as we close. And it's something you may have heard. I've heard from another ministry in the past. And I changed it a little bit. I added some more scriptural stuff to it. I want to read it to you. Talking about not quitting. Talking about persevering through resistance. It says the Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. I will not accept the trace of apathy in my attitude or actions. I will reject complacency and embrace the greatness that God has planted inside of me. I will waste no opportunity to glorify God and maximize everything he has entrusted to me. I will fight. My battle is not against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual enemy who opposes me. So I will draw the battle lines and face my enemy with a bold determination. My enemy fights against me because he fears Christ in me. Every time I submit to God and resist the devil, he must flee from me. There is no condemnation in Christ. So every time the devil reminds me of my past, I remind him of his future. I will make no excuses, and through every obstacle, Christ will make a way. I will not procrastinate my progress or defer my destiny in Christ. I will not waver when I am weak. I will not cower when my circumstances take a turn for the worse, because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I will fight. Even if I lose the battle, I will win the war, because I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. 
I will reject the lies that echo in my mind, telling me I don't have what it takes and that my best is behind me or that humiliation awaits me. The devil is a liar and my God always causes me to triumph through Jesus Christ my Lord. I will fight. I'm unashamed to represent a kingdom that is unshakable. No one will be able to stand against God's plan for me all the days of my life. With my God, I will advance against every enemy. I will overcome every obstacle placed before me. Though my enemy surrounds me, God surrounds my enemies. Because when my heart is pure before the Lord, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. My heart is steadfast. My purpose is immovable. I am always abounding in the work of the Lord. My potential is unlimited because the limitless God lives within me. I will fight. The cross is before me. The world is behind me. I'll never turn back. I'll never give up. I will press toward the mark for the prize that is already mine in Christ because I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God. For if my God is with me, who can be against me? I will fight. How about you? There's a lesson learned in perseverance. Let God do his work. Then we'll become spiritually mature and complete. And he'll blow through obstacles that stand in your way. And he'll get all the glory. And your faith will grow stronger with every step of the way. Do you have a faith like that? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And I want to know if there's anybody in here first and foremost You've never made Jesus Lord of your life. So therefore, you're powerless against your enemies. You're powerless against the things that come against you. It's you against the world, and you're tired, and you're defeated, and you're losing, and you're turning to drugs and alcohol and sexual relationships outside of your marriage, and you're turning to a computer screen, and you're turning to other things to try to fill you up and to give you peace and joy in your life, and you're empty, and you're turning to money, and you're turning to your job, and you're turning to your own selfish ways and justification, and you're empty inside. Because maybe you've chosen to do life your way and not God's way. And I'm gonna tell you right here today, Insanity is defined by continuing to do what you've always done and expecting different results. Will you make a change today? Your life doesn't get better by chance, mom or dad, young person, grandma, grandpa. Your life only gets better by change. And the one who has the power to change is Christ, the one who has the blueprints to your life. Will you give him your life today? He wants to restore you, renew you. Surrender to him. Surrender all. Commit your life to him right now today. If you've never done that, I'm going to lead you through a prayer from your heart to God's heart. And I want to make it very clear that this is not a magic prayer. These words do not save you. You can pray this prayer, shed a tear, walk out this door. And if your heart didn't mean it, you're just as unsaved as before you spoke it. But if your heart's right and you truly are repentant and you're ready to surrender your life, your all to Christ and do life his way and make him Lord of your life, then yes, when you communicate this to God, you're saved from this day forward. Will you do that right now in this place? For the first time, I'm going to lead you in it. Or if you're here and you say, Brad, I've, man, I, 
I'd walk with the Lord earlier. I'd committed my life to Christ, but lately I've drifted, man. I've, I've walked away. The, the, the world's, man, weighed me down, man. And, and, and man, I, I, I need to come running back. I don't know what else to say. I just need to come running back to Jesus today. I need to get it right. If that's you today and you need to rededicate your life today, I want you to pray this same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now. To receive him for the first time or to rededicate your life to him, just boldly and unashamed to say, Dear God, I admit to you right now that I'm a sinner. And Lord, right now I'm in need of you, my Savior. To this point in my life, I've selfishly been living life for myself, in my own understanding, in the ways of this world. And it has separated me from you. And God, I'm tired of doing life on my own. So God, I surrender all. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness right now of my sin, that his blood will wash over me, that I could be made new. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God. And Lord, I wanna claim right now that same victory in my life, Lord, because I need it. And Lord, my commitment to you is from this day forward that I will persevere. I will persevere through opposition. I will stand for you. I will live for you. And you have all of my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray that prayer right now today, every head bowed, every eye still closed, you meant business with Jesus for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him boldly and unashamed, I want you to raise your hand. Say, Brad, I made that decision. Pray for me. Yes, I see your hands. If I don't, God does. Amen. Amen. The Lord is at work. Amen. Impact Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for who he is, what he continues to do in our heart, our lives, in his church, and through his word? Guys, I know we say every week it almost becomes a cliche, but let's take this message. Let's truly take it to heart, and let's go make an impact for Jesus this week. God wants to do an amazing work through you and through this church. I'm praying for you. I love you. God loves you. So let's go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's be the church, not just come to church and bring somebody back with you next week. See you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.